We're going to begin, um, not begin, we're going to continue to um, talk about kingdom authority, but I want us to digress a bit. Today I want to talk about the cross. I want us to look at the cross. Um, since it's Good Friday, and also since we've been looking at the whole issue of the authority that we have in Christ, I think it'll be good for us to understand the cross. Now, unfortunately, I haven't given out the notes. Um, perhaps you can lower me. I don't know if somebody's just began to twiddle. It was really good. And then somebody began to twiddle with the whatever. So if you just put it back where it was, um, it would be really nice. Praise the Lord. It's a bit, is it loud? Okay, then it's my ears. I'm super sensitive ears. All right, let's, let's move on. Turn to Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. I don't think you're going to have, well, you don't have the notes, so the team will be a bit slow in putting it up. Uh, so uh, you will have to also write it out. I'll send you the notes later on. So we're talking about the cross, and today we're looking at the title of the teaching is Understanding the Cross. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. The New Living Translation reads it like this. As for me, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and all and the world's interest in me has also died. Wow. I wonder what you boast in. I wonder what you as an individual consider precious. Consider the thing of great value that you're willing to brag about it, that you're willing to let others know of this particular thing. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's your church. Maybe it's your pastor. <laughs> but Paul the Apostle says that God forbid that his boast should be in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, he says, because of the cross, his interest, when it comes to this world, and by the world, it means this world system that is hostile to God and his kingdom. He says that his interest in this world and all that this world represents has been crucified. And the world's interest in him has also died. It's interesting how he says it. The interest of this world in him has been crucified. In other words, he had to be intentional. Maybe, should they increase the volume a little bit? Yeah, I think so. You see, how it was before was really good. Hallelujah. It's my fault. I keep um, troubling them. Just do what you want, all right? And I'll just have to bear with it. Just do what you want. You know, you know the, 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 the sound has to be crucified to me as well. All right. Um, yeah, so he says the world's interest has been crucified. So he, there is an he has to be intentional about ensuring that the interest of this world is crucified because as a child of God, there's a lot of things that are vying for your attention that want to compete for the place of Christ in your heart and in your life. And so Paul says, that the world's interest, this world and all that it represents has been crucified. In other words, he has intentionally made sure that it has been put to death. And 
also when it comes to what is in the world, it has died to him. In other words, he has not allowed the way the world does things to influence how he lives his life. I want us to read another scripture and then we'll talk more about the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Very interesting verses of scripture. Paul there was a lot of factions in the Corinthian church. There were things that were going on in that church where people were divided. People were um, really kind of carnal. Um, in other words, they were really kind of um, worldly in the way of looking at things. They, they looked at things from a soulish point of view. That's what I mean by carnal. They looked at things from a human point of view rather than looking at things from God's perspective. They, they were a very anointed church, that Corinthian church. In fact, Paul said that when he came to that church, when he came to the gifts of the Spirit, they were not lacking behind on any gift. They were not lacking behind on any ministry. They had apostolic input, prophetic input. All the, all the things were happening, all the power gifts, all, the, all those things were happening, but they were divided. So Paul, in addressing the issues in that church, is a church that today most Christians, most people will call as a church in revival, by the way, the Corinthian church. So Paul in addressing the Corinthian church and some of the issues, because some of them were saying, you know, I belong to Paul. Others were saying, I belong to Peter. And then there were those who said, no, as for me, I belong to Jesus, you know. And so Paul was kind of talking to them because he founded this church. And he said, listen, Christ did not send me to baptize people. In other words, he didn't send me to make followers after myself. That's what baptism really represented. He said, but to preach or to declare or to proclaim the gospel or the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. However, he didn't send me to do it with the wisdom of words. In other words, with wise, persuasive ways of communication. He says, so that the cross of Christ should not be made of no effect. So the, the, the thing there is this, that the more our teaching and our preaching is relying on human ways of delivery, the less effective the cross becomes because people take their eyes off Jesus and focus on people, those make, delivering the message. And also, people look at things from a sensual or a sense point of perspective. In other words, they look at God and his kingdom and life from a humanistic point of view, from a sense point of view, rather than from a kingdom perspective. In other words, rather than from God's way of doing things. And so, he says... He doesn't want the cross of Christ to be of no effect. However, the message of the cross is foolishness. It doesn't make sense to those who are perishing. It is not something that is relatable. It is not something that is relevant to those who are perishing. So today, if we want the church to be relevant to the world, then we have to kind of dumb down the cross message. And this is where at times we have in many of our churches what we call seeker-friendly churches. I'm not knocking it, but maybe I am. Um, um, but the point is that you make this service more conducive to the non-believer. But you know what? That's not really what Jesus did. 
That's what we try to do, not to make people uncomfortable, not to say the wrong thing, not to be offensive. But you know, the message of the cross actually is quite offensive. And he says, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is senseless. It makes no sense to those who are perishing. But he says, but to us who are being saved, not just to us who are saved, it is to us who are being saved. You see, beloved, you are saved, you are being saved, and you shall be saved. That's, that's, that's biblical revelation about salvation. You are saved when you gave your life to Christ from the clutches and fires of hell. Um, you are being saved through um, the renewal of mind and sanctification and pursuit of holiness. And you are going to be saved when Jesus returns and you receive your glo- glorified body. So it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. So, so we, we, let's look at it. Why is the cross the power of God? First thing, what is a cross? Um, who doesn't know what a cross is? So we all know what a cross is. So who can articulate what a cross is? Come on, some. Okay, um, my son is raising his hand, but I'll excuse him today. Because <laughs> I can't predict. He might come and tell something that I've done wrong, you know, so. So, okay, we all know what a cross is, but it's a wooden structure used as a means of execution in the ancient times. But even today, in some of the Middle East countries, when Christians are being persecuted, some of them are being crucified on crosses. Um, So, yeah, so it's just two beams and a plus sign, basically, and and they're put on there, and they were either nailed to it or tied to it. Now, in the Roman Empire, from the 6th century BC, right up until um, the 4th century AD, the cross was an instrument of execution that was used on the worst criminals in the Roman society. In other words, those criminals that were really considered the lowest of the low, they were the ones that were placed on crosses. And it was a very torturous and painful way to die. So it's so much so that when uh, so so much so that Roman citizens really were not allowed to be crucified. So when Paul the apostle was going to be martyred, him and Peter, they had to cut his head off. I'll be honest with you, you know, before Christ, of course, if I was going to be killed, I really would prefer not to have my head cut off. You know, I don't mind being tied on a cross. Hopefully, I could escape. That's my mind. But they considered it as more humane. So they would cut, they would cut the head of himself. So he was, his head was cut off. And Peter, at the same time, he was crucified. But Peter actually said, no, no, no. I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. So do it upside down. Wow, that's awesome. I'm not sure if I'm at that level. I have to be honest. I'm not sure. But anyway, so in, in those days, uh, crucifixion, was you, you were either nailed or you were, you were, you were nailed or you were tied. And it was really, and before it happened, you went through a grueling process. And for our Lord, it was really terrible for our Lord. And one day we'll look at the, this, the, the actual steps before he was crucified. But let's talk about the cross. So um, for Jesus to be crucified, it was a real, real disgrace. It wasn't something that, you know, uh, was honorable. He was, it would be like today, associating him with a pedophile um, or the lowest of the low when it comes to criminal acts. That's how terrible it was. Uh, so, 
that's what it was in their days. But what did it mean for them? What did it mean for the apostle? And what does it mean for us today? Simply put, the meaning of the cross is death. It represents death. Say death. And I'll, well, thanks. This group said death. The rest of you just looked. Okay. I won't say, say death again. No point. Just in case you do the same thing. So our Lord Jesus now, when he began his ministry, was introduced by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, 29. John the Baptist introduces him in this way. And really how the Lord was going to take away the sins of this world was through his death on the cross. The, the inference about him being referred to as the Lamb of God was in reference to the Passover days. If you remember when um, Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt, um, there came a point where God said, okay, I'm going to deal with Pharaoh. He's going to have enough. And what God said to them was, look, tonight the death angel is going to come. And uh, what I want you to do is to make sure that on the lentils and on the doorposts of your houses, you put blood. And when that death angel sees that blood, he will pass over the house. And that's where the word pass over comes from. So literally, the death angel saw the blood and he passed over the house. And the children of Israel's firstborns were preserved. But that was a message about what the cross represented. Because that Passover blood was really um, going to be fully fulfilled in the blood of our Lord Jesus. You see, humanity, every one of us, have sinned against God. Our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, they passed on to the rest of humanity the sin genome, or they pass on to us the sin nature. And all of us, by virtue of what they did, became polluted with sin. And so the, the, the divine law, whether you agree with it or not, is that where there is sin, there has to be justice. There has to be payment. If God ignores sin, he can no longer be seen as a God of justice. For instance, there are many people in our world today who do things and then they die and they think they've escaped. Isn't that so? Beloved, there is no such thing. There is a day of equilibrium where there's a day of the great equalizer where God on the judgment day will make sure that every secret thing that everybody has done is brought to light and is dealt with in justice. That's why, by the way, you must never seek justice when it comes to God. You must always seek what? Mercy. Because if you want justice, the justice of God demands that every sin has to be dealt with. And so, because God realized that human beings were incapable of dealing with their sin situation, he decided to come in the form of a man through his son, our Lord Jesus. And then he decided that to choose a, mid, a means of um, death that could embrace every kind of death and offer a sacrifice that was sufficient to pay for the price of sin. And that's really where the cross comes in. So when Jesus was recognized as that Lamb of God, what John was saying, he was identifying Jesus as the means by which God was going to solve the human condition. 
um, through the sacrifice that Jesus made. Now, why is the cross so important? Because just like in the first century, the cross spoke of death, Jesus, by his death, not only abolished sin and made, us, made it possible to be right with God, but now he calls us as his believers, as his followers, to also embrace the cross, our cross. And by embracing our cross, we enter into the fullness of what it means to be his follower. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 27. You see, the, 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 for the first century believer, the cross was to them death. Now, before Christ, it was a disgraceful death. Now, when Christ died for the believer, every time they referred to the cross, they were referring it within the context of what Jesus had done for them and how valuable and how precious that was. But more than that, when they referred to the cross, they were able by faith to appropriate the work of the cross into their lives that caused them to change from one degree of glory to another. Let's look at Matthew 16, 24 to 27. And we're going to try and bring this to a conclusion as to why the cross is important for us even today. Matthew 16, 24, 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 27, for the son of man will come in the glory of his father and with his angels and then he will reward each according to his work. Now there's a lot here, but I want to highlight a few things. So actually in other places it says a lot of people were following him, great multitudes were following him and he turned to them and said these words. If you want to follow me, Jesus is saying, you have to first of all deny yourself. Say, deny yourself. Now, the biggest enemy you have in your life is not the devil. It's certainly not your mother-in-law if you're married. <laughs> the biggest enemy that you have in your life is not even those people against you. It's yourself. Actually, it's the self within you. The self within you. The I, me, mine. That's your biggest enemy. It's not your church. <laughs> it's not your pastor. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, they must first deny themselves. If you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to first deny yourself. This is not a very good PR strategy. This is not the way you get followers. I mean, how many of you today, like we're trying to um, introduce ourselves to um, this community here, and then we say to them, if you really want to have a hard time in life, come and visit us on Sunday. And go, I don't think our guests will be here today. It's like, what? If you want to, if you want um, 
to experience suffering and shame and disgrace. CLF Greenwich is the place. <laughs> but he says, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Notice, not take up Jesus' cross. No, he already, he's already died on the cross. You don't need to take Jesus' cross. No, you've got your own cross to deal with. Take up your own cross. Say, my own cross. All right. Now, um, and then he says, why is this? He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? In other words, the secret to saving your soul is to embrace the cross. Contrary to what many people think in modern Christianity today, the secret to ensuring that you're preserving your soul is to, first of all, put yourself second and then embrace the cross. That's the secret. Because the next verse he's saying, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, there is something competing for your soul. There is someone competing for your soul. And it's more than the devil, it's self. It's self. So the antidote to self is the cross. You see, the devil has no power over the life of a believer who's given their life in Christ. He has no power. So the only thing he can appeal to is to you. For you to do what you want. Regardless. That, that's how he gets his power. It's for you to do what you want. Sounds like a motivational speech. When you look at the devil's strategies, like, as, you know, he's looking to help you believe in yourself first. You know, many years ago, Whitney Houston sang that song, The Greatest Love of All. It's what? Don't, don't pretend like you don't know what the song is. You're like, like who's he with the Houston? The greatest love of all is happening to me. I can't sing like Vanessa. Where is she? Well done, Vanessa. Learning. Now, I was listening to the lyrics. I remember thinking, because I heard she was a Christian, learning, I heard she was a Christian, learning to love yourself. I thought, what? How can that be the greatest love of all? That's satanic. No, it's actually satanic. The, the first commandment of Satanism is do what you want. Do what thou wilt. That's the first commandment. So learning to love yourself is not the greatest love of all. How can that possibly be the greatest love of all? The greatest love of all is to learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Actually, it's to embrace the love of God. Because as you embrace his love, then you can reciprocate. So that's the greatest love, not learning to love yourself. Yeah, anyway, so the point, I don't know how we got there. But, but the point is, the point that I'm trying to emphasize is that the desire to save your soul is by denying yourself and embracing the cross. Because the Lord is saying, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul, beloved? What will you give in exchange for your soul? For the destiny of your soul? For the welfare of your soul? What would you give? Pornography? Money? Fame? 
a big church, anointing, what would you trade? You know, there are people who trade important things in order to get ahead in life. And our Lord asks the question, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses all? What can you give in exchange for your soul? And the antidote in ensuring that you, you don't give the wrong thing is by focusing on the cross. It's by focusing on the cross. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Nevertheless, I live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live. King James Version, I don't like this version. I'm crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, this is a King James Version, but the Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, listen, Joseph is dead. Christ is now the one that we want to see. Can you say amen? amen. Say, I, am I have died. Say, I have died. I have been crucified with Christ. So the cross of Jesus Christ is central to our faith in him. Is that you saying I've had, you've had enough, yeah? Right. It's central because it reveals the character of God in perfect balance. You see, in the cross, we see God's holiness as it is revealed through his infinite love and perfect justice. God's holiness is expressed through infinite love and perfect justice at the cross. Because at the cross, certain things happened. And, and before I go through it quickly... Psalm 85, 10 embraces this. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Mercy and truth. You know, mercy means you are, you are um, shown kindness when you deserve to be punished for something you've done wrong. And truth is really saying things as they are. So when God's truth comes into our life, he sees all our faults. He sees all our faults. And truth says you have to deal with these issues. But then mercy comes because of the cross and allows the truth of where we are to be overwhelmed by the love of God. By the love of God. And it says righteousness and peace of kissed. Why? Righteousness is that which God approves of. And peace is perfect harmony with him. And the reality is in all our lives, Naturally speaking, outside of the grace of God, there will be areas in our lives that are not in sync with God. Therefore, it causes us not to have peace. That's why a lot of Christians don't have peace, because they have not learned to focus on the cross. But when the cross is, when the revelation of the cross has, has um, imbued your mind and you have embraced it, then you can recognize areas that are wrong and still be at peace because of Jesus. Can you say Amen. So the cross confronts the greatest challenge that every believer has, and that is self. And the cross addresses all of the power of sin in our lives through Jesus' blood. At the cross, all our wounds of sin are healed. In fact, they were healed. At the cross, all the things that caused us, causes us and continues to cause us pain and uh, depression and sorrow at the cross, they are brought into alignment with the will of God. 
It's a place of abundant comfort. Why? Through the agonizing sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our revelation of the cross protects us from false teachings and false doctrines of the enemy and empowers us to walk in victory. And I'm going to conclude with these verses and a few statements. 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2 24 and 25, he says this. Who himself, talking about Lord Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The tree is in reference to the cross. Not like the Jehovah's Witness teach the tree. No, it's in reference to the cross. It's just a, it's just, I don't know the word is euphemism. Um, is that the word for a cross? Yeah, I'm not an English person. It's a, it's, is, it euphemism? is it euphemism? I don't know. Well, it's a, it's, it refers to the cross anyway. What am I saying? Yes, that we, let me read 24 again. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So a few things happened at the cross. Well, more than a few things, but let me quickly go through 10 of them. One, the perfect sacrifice I'll just be quick. The perfect sacrifice for sin and humanity was made. Perfect sacrifice. Each of these I could spend another hour, but we won't go there. Two, atonement for sin was made in that we were now made one with God. Three, prophecies were fulfilled on the cross. Four, the old law that brought condemnation was abolished, was put away. Five, the hostility between Jews and non-Jews was removed. And that's where the church came in. Six, the love of God was completely displayed. Seven, God's wrath against sin was fully executed. The fullness of God's wrath was executed on the cross. Eight, our Lord Jesus was completely forsaken. Forsaken by his father, forsaken by humanity, and left to be ravished by the wrath of God. Nine, God was betrayed on the cross, through the cross. Our Lord Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. And number 10, Jesus was completely humiliated through the cross. So what does it mean for you? Okay, I get it. I'm nearly done. So what does it mean for you to take up your cross? We read it already. Taking up your cross really means you're willing to identify with Jesus when he was on that cross. It means you're willing to identify with Jesus in his sufferings in your life, in your life. So on the cross, he experienced shame. So you are willing to identify Jesus by experiencing shame because of Jesus. Two, on the cross he experienced pain. So you are willing to go through pain because of you identifying with Jesus. Three, on the cross he experienced rejection. So you are willing to be rejected by your loved ones and by all because you identify with Jesus. Four, he experienced humiliation. So you are willing to be humiliated because of your, identi your identity with Christ. Five, he experienced betrayal. You're willing to be betrayed by others, loved ones, because you identify with Christ. Six, he was completely naked. You're willing to be 
completely transparent and open to a point of vulnerability because you're seeking to identify with Jesus. And seven, he died. He, he, was, he, he experienced death. You're willing to die, not just to self, but literally, if need be, for the sake of identifying with Jesus. That's why the cross is so important. Amen. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. And as we're going to pray, I want to first and foremost pray for anybody here who wants to give their life to Jesus, who wants to surrender their hearts to him. Uh, Perhaps you used to go to church and you stopped. Uh, Maybe you... uh, um, it's the first time you've really heard the message about the cross and you realize that you want to make your life right with Christ. If you that, I want to pray with you. Why don't you raise your hand, if that's you, uh, before we change um, the other service. Why don't we, you raise your hand and I'll pray with you quickly. All right, I don't see anyone like that. So the next thing I want to do is just to pray for anyone who wants to rededicate their lives to the Lord for whatever reason. And this Easter, Good Friday, you recognize that you know what, you've lost focus for whatever reason and you want to re-consecrate yourself. If that's you, why don't you stand where you are and uh, we're just going to quickly pray and then I'm going to hand back to Abigail. All right, as you stand, I want the rest of us just to bow our heads and close our eyes and as you stand and those of you online, um, why don't you, if you want to do this, just close your eyes where you are um, if it's possible and then as you stand, just raise your hands to the Lord And just rededicate yourself to him and just tell him, Lord, you know, thank you for the cross that makes it possible for me to do this. That makes it possible for me to consecrate myself to you uh, every day, every day, every moment. Look at what's going on in your life. And if you feel you need to do that, just stand right now. Father, I thank you for these precious ones that are standing Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus and I ask for grace upon their lives, Lord, as they rededicate themselves to you, that they will have the strength that comes through our Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you through the cross we have been made one with you. Thank you through the cross we are able to be your sons and your daughters. We are able to have hope of eternal life. We're able to be courageous to identify with our Lord Jesus. We say yes to the cross and we say yes to our cross in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may take your seats, Abby.